Welcome to OTR, Over the Rainbow, Achieving Mental Health for Real. This podcast is designed to help with your recovery from any mental issue you are up against. The show strives to give you information that really, for real, works. The podcast interviews real people that have recovered or are managing their mental health. We also talk to people that offer suggestions and coping mechanisms you may want to try. Bob Adelman, the host of OTR, shares his 50 years of struggles with mental illness and the techniques of recovery. He is still on his journey, as you can hear in the episode called Perfect Storm Fighting Demons. So help him fight this monster called mental illness and the stigma that goes with it. Thank you very much, Amanda. That was a great introduction for those of you who don't know the format of the show. And I'm Bob Adelman, and you're at OTR. That's the place to be. Hope you had a chance to go out and look at my Instagram and Facebook pages. If you're on the pages, please hit the follow button. I know you're out there. Please feel free to post anything you'd like. Uh, I'm starting to put out articles that I, I think will help that are, are very positive. Uh, today's guest is terrific. Her name is Carly Israel. She wrote Seconds and Inches. So her, her specialty is couples with children who go through divorce. And I'll let her explain that to you. She's got a lot of energy and it's very spiritual. And she's gone through a lot, recovering from alcoholism. So I really admire her strength, and I think you will too. Here it is. Oh, Carly, how are you doing today? Couldn't be better if I tried. How are you? Good, good. Welcome to OTR. Would you mind going through your background for our listener? Yes. Um, first of all, I'm so grateful to be on your podcast and we were talking a little bit about it before. I love the name of it because I've always been a Dorothy believer that, um, there's no place like home and everything we need is within us. So I'm a little bit of a Jack, Jack and Jill of all trades. I am sober in recovery, uh, this month, God willing, I will be sober 22 years and I got sober at 19, which we'll get into in a little bit. I am a mother of three boys. I'm an author of a memoir, Seconds and Engines, which is my soul baby. And I'm a podcaster of two podcasts. Um, one is a sober-related North Star Big Book, and then the other one is new. It's called In Your Corner Divorce, because I'm a co-parenting coach, and we'll chat about that in a little bit. Sounds good. I don't know if you know my background. I have uh, major depression, anxiety, OCD, ADHD, dyslexia. You got a lot of letters there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, people don't believe I have all these things, but I do, unfortunately. Did you want to uh, talk about your battles with depression? I just want to say that I totally relate to you. Um, I have many letters after my name, ADD, many diagnoses, and um, I get it. But I also think some of some people like us are some of the most interesting in the world because we know that nothing's perfect and there's no such thing and we can see light in the darkness. And I think that is really important to talk about. 
Yeah, yes. Um, my whole show is about recovery. Um, you know, what different people did yeah. to recover. Some go to counseling, some take med- medication. I'm currently taking uh, a slew of medication, I guess you can call it. Took me years to get it just right, but I think I'm 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 really good at this point. Yeah, me too. I grew up in an alcoholic home and my parents are sober today, but when I was about the age of nine, I knew I wanted to no longer be alive, which is so sad to me because I have three boys and I can't even fathom them feeling like that. But I grew up in that home and if you grew up in an alcoholic home, what you know is that your outsides had to look good. So no one bothered you about your insides and that you were told that everything needed to be kept a secret. And so by the age of nine, I had that inner turmoil of, I don't want to be here anymore. And fast forward, I found alcohol and drugs around 12, 13, and I found my solution. It was never my problem because it quieted those voices. It made the discomfort softer. And I found freedom for myself. And then fast forward a little bit more. I'm in college at a party school. I'm in theater doing my thing. I'm getting amazing grades because I have to keep my outside looking good. And I'm seeking out psychiatric help because the depression and the darkness came in. I always talk about it like a boomerang that out of nowhere just turned around and changed the rules. Where once everything, where once the alcohol and drugs were making everything better, it it was like it got reprogrammed in the computer of whatever they were supposed to be doing for me, and it amplified all of the pain and the darkness and the voices. And so anything I put in my body to try to make the pain go away ended up getting louder and more intense. And so I started seeking out help, and I was like, I need help, but I didn't want help for not putting drugs and alcohol in my body because that was my solution. So I wanted someone to give me the right medicine. And I was like, I need the right medication. My parents were sober at this point, and they were telling me that I probably needed to come into the room to get sober, and I wanted nothing to do with it. And so I went on the journey of seeing psychiatrists after psychiatrists after psychiatrists. And while there are some really good ones out there, there's also a lot of, I'm sure you know, ones that don't listen to you, right? Yeah, <laughs> and just scribble on their pads. I agree. And a lot of um, <laughs> started giving me medications to fix the symptoms I was having from the medications I was on instead of finding out what was going on, right? <laughs> oh. um, yeah. By the time I found the right medication, I'd already been on 16 different medications when I was 20. Um, many diagnoses, many oh. promises yeah. that I'd be locked up. Um, I even called one weekend when I couldn't stop the noise and nothing made it go away to, to lock myself up. But at that time, um, nobody answered the phone. And so I ended up in the rooms of recovery and I put nothing in my body because they told me I was supposed to be sober. And six days in, I said to myself, if this is what it's supposed to feel like to not have anything in your body and to get better, then you can have it. And without any alcohol or drugs in my body, the voices were so loud and insistent in my brain that I told myself and believed, I know you can understand this. And I, it's actually a gift because when I work with people today who have been suicidal, I can help them not feel 
crazy that they're feeling suicidal. I can help them understand that I get it. And what I believed at that time was that it really was in the best interest of everyone around me, including myself, for me to no longer be here. And I believe that even though it would cause pain for my family, that eventually they'd be better off because of all the emotional drama I was causing all the time. Um, for me, I'm sure you can relate to that too. I couldn't see any way other way out. So I didn't know that that was a false belief. And I try, I ran right. in the bathroom. I had thought about suicide many times before I got sober and this was six days without anything in my body or brain. And I ran in the bathroom and like an animal, I rummaged through our medicine cabinet and I swallowed 90 pills and laid on the floor and waited to die. Oh my God. Mm. Yeah. Rough. So that was 19 years old, January 26, 1999. And um, this is, I don't know when this is going to be released, but this is the month of January 21 for me right now. And so we're good. Right. Right. We're scooting up on that time frame. Um, and I almost killed the wrong person. And luckily, I know today that there was a different plan. And luckily, I did not get what I what I really thought I wanted. And I ended up in the hospital with my stomach pumped and two bottles of charcoal and lost all my rights as a human and paramedics and police and fly myself out against medical advice. And for me, my real gift of desperation was the long walk home in the snow, a mile and a half to my apartment, you know, without yeah. a plan. I mean, I've been there. Uh, I was in the hospital twice. First time I really needed it, it was in 91, believe it or not. Um, I just had so much anxiety, I could not function anymore. I mean, I had to lay in my bed you know, crawl in a corner, and then it got worse and worse. I finally called my sister, and she said, oh, no, no, that's, that's that you're having an attack, or you're having, some people call it nervous breakdown. I don't really like that term, but uh, I got there finally, and they gave me a Xanax and calmed me down, and then put me on a good medicine. Second time I was in there, it wasn't as good of an experience, because he took me off all my meds and put me on all new meds. And that pulled me away for about three or four months. But That's really scary yeah. when the whole meds change so drastically. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, our bodies and our brains don't know how to handle it. And it's, it's terrifying. Yes. But it's, it's, well, and also, I really didn't have a home at that point. It's a long story. I don't want to go through it all. But uh, I wasn't homeless, but I was living with someone else. Until I was able to land another job, because, of course, I couldn't work in the condition I was in. I work in IT, which is enough to make anybody <laughs> depressed. Mm -hmm. But um, So, uh, tell me more about divorce coaching. Is that the proper term? Sure. So, um, I'm going to fast forward a bunch of years. I end up getting sober. I've been sober since that walk home and working my butt off spiritually and mentally and emotionally and I'm seeking out psychiatric help and therapy and tons of spiritual work and internal work and yeah. medication. And I need all those things in order for me to be anything. And I found out a lot of other things I need in order to, to function. I personally need to exercise every day because um, it helps me get like the tension out in my chest. And, um, you know, I have a lot of other issues in that area, so it helps a lot with that. But 
I ended up having three baby boys. I, I got married and I had three <clears throat> baby boys and I love, love, love being a mother. Um, like you, we were talking earlier, um, our marriage did not work out and nobody wants a divorce. So I hate when people are like, who wanted the divorce? Because nobody going into a marriage who's not got a, like a mental disorder that is got you know, no feelings, you know, we're talking just about regular people, you know, even people like me and you who have emotional mental stuff, but you know, people who want a life partner and children, um, don't want a divorce. And we worked hard. I worked really hard. We both did our own you know, attempts and for whatever reason, it didn't not end up working out. And so we ended up going through a divorce and it was obviously really emotional and painful, but my biggest fear was I don't want to mess up my kids because they didn't choose this. They didn't ask for this. My boys were nine, seven, and six, and I had been a hundred percent with them and I didn't want to change our life, but I also couldn't stay and be the mom I wanted to be because I was so unhappy. And so I had heard all the horror stories about what happens when people get divorced and how kids end up being in therapy forever and they're miserable and the parents are horrible to each other and they can't be in the same room. And I wanted nothing to do with that. So I sought out a friend who I knew was known as the happy divorce guy. And I said, how do I do this? And he taught me about a concept. Have you ever heard about the North Star? Yeah, that's a dimensional star. Okay, so the North Star changed my life and my children's lives and now thousands of people's lives. So he said, and this is his concept that he taught me, he said that the North Star is what sailors use when they're lost in the dark and they can't find their way home, that they look up, right, to find the North Star, and then that's how they know that which way to go. He said that my children would need to be my North Star and that I need to look to them whenever I feel lost and I don't know which way to go. And that if I focus on what's right for them, what's best for them, given our situation, that I'll always know what choice to make, how to behave, how to respond, because I'm going to be focusing on them. And I'll always get to the home I want to, which is providing them with a secure, happy, you know, emotionally pain-free life in terms of the divorce. No one's going to have an emotionally pain-free life, period. But I wanted to do as little damage as I, I possibly could. And this concept ended up being so successful that I became a co-parenting coach and I have a podcast wow. about it and I coach men and women all over the world virtually. And it's literally changed my life. And I believe it'll change generations to come. That's great. I mean, you're really working for the cause. I mean, I know there's such a stigma out there. It is. Even today uh, about mental illness and really it's undeserving. So, that's why I try to preach on, on this broadcast. And um, so as far as, uh, do you have certain techniques you can talk about that you use? Absolutely. So um, the first thing is, so my coaching program is called In Your Corner um, because I believe, like a boxing coach, that in order for it to work for the person who's doing the work, they have to do the work. And I'm just in the corner, like a coach telling you like which swings to do, what exercises to do, you know, when you're doing it too much and it's their work, but I'm in their corner and it's only for people that are willing to do the work. As you know, you could have this, whatever diagnosis you have, you could have the solution, but if you're not willing to take the steps, because there's no medical illness, mental illness, emotional illness, 
life situation where there's a solution that doesn't involve us putting our work in. And so I work with clients and I have two rules and they're non-negotiable. And my first rule is they're not allowed to say anything negative about the other parent in front of the children. There's, I mean, it sounds simple, but it's just, it's a no brainer and it's so damaging. Um, That also includes, they have to shut down any negative talk that children can hear if other people are around them and they're not saying it, but like family or friends. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. uh, With my children, I I had them every weekend and I was kind of like the fun dad. And I I tried to make up for my wife Mm. who kind of, in the beginning, divorced them too, it seemed. Uh, and she wanted to just party. And so she did that on the weekends, and I did the kids. And mm. I tell you, every Friday I picked them up, and they just lit up my life. I mean, for that weekend, I was just so happy to have them. So, because I, I mean, I love children. I, I you know, my, my children are great. They, Right now, they they have very successful lives, and they're they're battling depression. My one son, especially, had kind of what I had, but now he's stabilizing. Uh, so you know, the medicines are much better now, and they know what to give you. So it, it, it How, works when out. He, when he started battling, was was he allowing you to talk with him about your experiences? Oh yes, yes. All my kids know I'm. Uh, <laughs> nothing to that, you know. <laughs> I use a lot of uh, goofy humor. So do I. To help me get yeah. through. Yeah. You have to. You got to find out what works for you. So uh, my my kids are always like my kids are always like you know daddy's crazy, but that's good. We we understand. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but they don't mean they don't mean crazy as in really. No, I know. Crazy I totally get it. Being, I also think that. Yeah. yeah. It's also just being honest. I mean, the reality is. Who doesn't struggle with something? And the idea that everyone's trying so hard to make everything look so good, it isolates everybody, which is why when I post on social media, I show everything. That's why my my memoir is me kind of giving everyone permission to be messy and like let everyone see your beautiful mess because it gives other people permission to not have to be so perfect. Exactly. Yeah, that's very good. I think it's super important. Um, go on. Are you, are you going to tell? Uh, no, no, sure. So I'm going to tell you the sec. Yeah, I'm going to tell you the second rule, and then I'll tell you a little bit about what I do. So my second rule is the hardest one I think for people to follow. And let's pretend that there's not a pandemic, so we can go to activities, sporting events, plays, concerts. And let's say your daughter is up at a t-ball game and she's up to bat, and she gets a first base run, which is not easy to get. And she has about three seconds to look in the stands for mom and dad or mom and mom or dad and dad, whoever is their parents. And they should be able to look to just give you that nod of, I saw you in one place. If they have to look at one side of the stadium and the other side of the stadium, just their parents are so selfish. They can't stand near each other. So their child can't look to get that, that love and that approval. And I, I, I see you. That is uh, the sign of someone who actually doesn't want to change. And I tell them when they're like, I don't want to stand under them. I don't like, I'm like, look, it's not about you. It's about your kid. You're in a public place. Right. Nothing's going to happen to you. You don't have to sit on their lap. You just need to sit in the same section. So when your kid does something good or they want to see that you're there, you're in the same space. 
And I know that sounds a lot, but it's important. It was important to me, and yeah. it, it didn't work out because my wife is basically, she tried to blame everything on me, you know. He's the crazy one. He had mental illness. Yep. That's someone who's stuck, right? That's someone who's stuck in the story. Yeah, yeah, she's stuck, yeah. And we went to counseling. One, one, the first time we went to counseling, uh, she told her story separately to the counselor. And as soon as I walked in, she said, oh, you guys need to get divorced. <laughs> right. So the counselor heard one side of the story, right? Yeah. So the, what's important about that is I can always tell clients, even if your other co-parent is like your ex-wife who does, who wants to stay stuck in the story, who doesn't want to have a North Star divorce, who doesn't want to put the kids first, you can still have one. It's just harder. But you just work your ass off to make it so you are behaving. You're taking the high road. You're showing up. You're not being negative. You're doing whatever you can for the kids. And whatever the other person says is not your business. Because as you know, having adult children today, they end up seeing the truth. You don't have yes. to point anything out. They will see it from consistency and from how you live your life. And we can provide as much security and lack of drama as humanly possible. Yeah, that's very important. Uh, I mean, my kids are everything to me, and I put in 150% because my wife was just not cooperating. She was not. Basically, she ignored me like I wasn't there. Yeah. Like I was in business. To this day, she does. She finally allowed me. That's so sad. A, like an Easter with everybody. She allowed, she allowed me to come to that because she would always get to vacation. I mean, the, the holidays or vacations. And, right. And you know, I was always alone on the holidays. And then eventually, the last five years, um, she started inviting me to Thanksgiving Easter. But she still won't talk to me. So, I mean, if I say, where's the coffee? And you know who that hurts. Besides, it hurts you. you it, it hurts your kids because they can feel that tension. And, you know, I actually have learned so much from adult children of divorce because they are obviously a lot more communicative. And they can say to me, you know, it's such a pattern. It's it's the same thing all across the board. My mom or, my mom or dad, one of them won't speak to the other one. They won't be in the same room. They won't show up at, at holidays. They're not allowed to be doing this. They use me as a messenger. They always talk negatively. And one of the services I offer, so I do three different things, but one of them is called Nuts and Bolts, and I think it's probably the most important one for people who are about to go through the legal process. And it can work whether it's just one parent or both. It's obviously best if it's both. But it's basically I sit down virtually with the couple or one client, and we discuss the really important things that need to go into a parenting plan in order for your kids to not have to experience what yours did, which is never getting to be with one parent for the holidays right. and missing out on all that because it's really, really, it's important for their emotional health to not have to feel so yucky that one parent's excluded or to not get to experience those memories with another parent. And you know what I always say is that we all deserve the love we want and you deserve to be with someone who wants to be with you. And exactly. that's really important for our children to see also is that without, you know, saying anything negative about their other parent is we all deserve to feel worthy and loved and wanted. And if we're in a situation, you know, the hardest question that I work with clients who have not made the decision to get divorced yet, but are coming to me to figure it out. And I never tell anyone what to do. I just kind of guide them about the questions and options 
is I say to them, would you want your current marriage for your children? And when you think about it like that, like actually picturing one of your children in the marriage you're in, it makes the decision very clear because who would want to feel the way that we feel when we're in that position? Um, so how do people contact you? Um, you're based in, in Ohio? Yeah, I'm in Cleveland, but because of the virus, actually, it's one of the blessings of, of COVID is I do everything virtually and I'm always going to do it virtually because I actually think since this is such an emotionally painful subject, that it's more comfortable being virtual than actually being in a room with someone. I, I went to three different marriage counselors during my divorce and it was exhausting. Um, and so everything's virtual. They email me and at in your corner coach at Gmail, or they can find my podcast in your corner divorce. And we work together over you know zoom. Um, it's a ton of work. So I have three different things. I have a figuring it out session. Cause I get a lot of messages like, Hey, do you know a good marriage counselor? Cause someone's usually like on the edge. And I say, yes, there are great marriage counselors I know, but are you trying to, what are you trying to, to figure out? And most of the time it's that they're trying to figure out if they want to stay or not. And so I have a session called figuring it out, which I actually don't find a lot of people offer. And it is very uncomfortable, <laughs> black and white, just really hard questions to contemplate. Sometimes I do it with one-on-one. Sometimes both people in the marriage want to do it together. And we, I help them lay out their facts in front of them. We talk about what the real life would look like to not be together because I don't want them to have this fantasy that it's going to be better if you choose to get a divorce because there is no like right or wrong, you know, black or white. And I explain to them that if one percent of you wants to stay in the marriage, that it's worth it to put in the work. And then I show them their options. So that's one thing I do. And the other thing I do, like I mentioned before, is the nuts and bolts session, which is really for people who are about to go into the divorce process and want to bring a document to whoever's writing up their divorce document. And then the other thing I do that's the hardest is my North Star Divorce Boot Camp. And I offer a mini oh. one and a and a bigger so three sessions or five sessions. And it's basically a ton of work. And we're the whole goal is shifting their mindset. So we start out with cleaning out all that story that you're talking about with your ex-wife. We just, I tell them, you get to tell your story one time and then we're not talking about it again because your story is no longer serving you. It doesn't even matter anymore because you're, you're no longer with this person. And let's look at how it's dragging you down. And we basically go through their life and pull out all the things they're hoarding emotionally and mentally and get rid of them. And then we focus on what it's going to look like to forgive, not in a way like you're, you're right and I'm wrong, but I no longer want to carry this with me. And I make them do some really hard assignments about their kids and what kind of life they want for their children post-divorce and what they want their children to say about them when they're your your children's age about how they handle themselves and then we really focus on tools and goals and the kind of life that they want to write for themselves and their children moving forward and it's really about saying I'm taking charge of my life regardless of how the divorce happens and I don't I don't want to mess up my kids and I have complete control over it yeah do you uh do just people that don't have kids I don't because I specifically okay. really want to work with um, people with kids. Um, I do do side coaching 
for other things like that. But my program is only geared towards children. But yes, I also do like life coaching for people who are just struggling and want to get free. So you take them even before they get divorced. Yeah. So I meet people at, at many different areas. I meet them when they haven't made the decision. I meet them when they've made the decision. They don't know what the hell to do. And then I meet, I have some clients that are four, seven years post-divorce. They realize that the way that they're behaving is not okay, that they are causing problems for their kids because of their negativity, them being stuck. And, you know, I think you can answer this question because you've been there, but do you know the one reason why people cause so much drama in their children's life um, post-divorce, why they won't show up, why they won't speak to their other person. Do you know what the one reason is? Well, I'd have to guess that they're mad at their yeah, absolutely. spouse. And, and it, it boils down to even simpler terms. They're selfish. Right. Because the resentment that they have is is causing so much pain in everyone else's life. Like The idea that your mm-hmm. children don't see that their mother won't speak to their father is insane. I mean, the fact that most divorced adults, children of divorce I've spoken to tell me that when they got engaged, when they found out they were having a baby, that their second thought they had was, oh no, how am I going to do this with both of my parents in the same room? And that's completely selfish. That's only because the parents are not able to take care of their junk and handle it so they can show up for their kids. Yeah. My wife basically just thought, you know, she'll have them during the week, and she'll get them dressed and all that kind of stuff. You know, cook breakfast. And I'm not saying she's a, a bad person, but she just had some, uh, you know, bad depression. And she really didn't treat it until later on after all this was over. After she told me to basically snap out of it, you know. Right. It was like, uh, yeah, that's not happening. So, but she eventually... Wound up on, on medication. She's doing better now. And she does great with the kids. And, and I, I have four grandchildren, too. So, you know, she does good with them. And, you know, things are pretty good. So, you know, what's such a, a blessing, Bob, is that people can hear me and you, who have fought depression and suicide and all of this, and can hear that you you can still control your story. And you get to, you know, I heard this saying, I always listen to motivational speakers because I want my head to be filled with like good stuff. And I heard someone say, um, I don't know who said it out. I'm embarrassed to say, I didn't remember that you get to write your own story and don't let anyone else grab your pen. You know, that we get to write the story, regardless of whoever's around us that's negative. And don't for one second think that my story isn't challenging because I have challenges with my co-parent, but I, and I fall short, right? Um, but my mm-hmm. goal is always to come back and focus on that North Star and the kind of person I want to be because I don't want to walk around with that stuff. Okay. Now, um, do you deal with both parents or just yes, one? Yes, that's ideal. So in a perfect world, you've got two parents that don't want to mess up the kids that want to get free, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. that's ideal. So sometimes I'll deal with them together in the figuring it out session. And then we deal again in the nuts and bolts to figure out like, how do you want this to look? You guys have complete control over this right now. You're in the best position possible. What do you want this to look like before other significant others come in and change how you want to do this? And then I have some clients who, you know, it's harder to get them into the boot camp because one person's angry and doesn't want to, have to do anything that the other person suggests. But it's 
always going to be better when both people are on board, but that's also kind of like finding a unicorn because it's usually one of the parents that wants to get the help and the other one that's like, I don't need help. <laughs> the majority of the cases that you have uh, is just one person? The majority is one is person. And yeah. usually what ends up happening is when one person changes their behavior, it's impossible to stay the way it was. I always tell them, mm -hmm. you cannot get into a fight with somebody if one person doesn't want to fight. And so, right. like, for example, one of my clients who's many years post-divorce with children who are, one's out of the house, one's a high, in high school, she and her co-parent were horrible and she recognized that she heard one of my podcast episodes, she read my memoir and she's like, I want help. I'm ready to do the work. And I'm like, it's a lot of work. And she's like, I'm ready to do the work. And she did. And three in, we just finished her third session. She did the mini boot camp, And she said that she cannot believe the transformation because she no longer has to walk around with all that anger and stories. We identified it. We let it go. We realized what was no longer serving her. She reached out to her co-parent. She said, I want to start over. Let's do this again. Because the coolest thing is just because it's crappy for like a long time doesn't mean it has to stay that way. At any point, right. one of you can stop and turn off the music and say, I don't want to do this anymore. We need to stop the way that we're doing this because no one feels right. good about it. Right. No one's enjoying it. And no. they're on a new road. They're, they're making a new chart for their kids. Because what I originally thought when I started doing this work was I was just going to be helping the kids. And then I realized after talking to adult children of divorce that it's actually a generational problem of trauma. Mm -hmm. And it's not just the kids. It's the kids who grew up in that really dysfunctional, painful, emotionally you know, traumatic household back and forth with the yuck and the tension. And then they go out and they don't know how to have a relationship. So they harm all the people they're in relationships with. And then they get married maybe. And then they harm that marriage. And they have kids and they don't know how to parent the way that they're supposed to because they watched that. And it's just, it's generational. And then those kids. And so what I realized, and I'm not being cocky, I really actually believe this, is that if we, if we can get a small percentage of the population to really focus on this idea that you can control how this next part goes and that you can rewrite what divorce means for your family, that we can change generations of trauma. Like the people I'm working with today can be helping save their grandchildren's life who they've never even yes. met yet. Right. And, and I believe in that. Uh, if you have a family history, like my father was undiagnosed bipolar. Mm -hmm. My mother was anxiety ridden. So I picked up all those traits. So a lot of times your parents have the same things that you have. Yeah. And you have to make them aware that it's a possibility that they can have it too. Yeah. And that's very important. Yeah, you know, important. hurt people hurt people. And, you know, yeah. I have it too in my family. I mean, my family is riddled with alcoholism and depression. And mm -hmm. we get to stop and change and break the cycle. And now, right now, right. I'm, I'm in recovery. My mom and dad are in recovery. And my grandmother, who's 86, is in recovery. So, like, all three <laughs> generations. So, and you know what I mean? We that's get great. it. And that's what I'm so excited about my memoir, which I want to send to you. Um, is about, it's called okay. Seconds and Inches, and it's about generational trauma and the stories we carry and how we carry stories of generational pain that we've never even, we've never even met some of the people whose stories we're carrying. Very exciting stuff. I'm so grateful I found you, or you found me. We yeah, found each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's, 
I mean, that's what I do. I, I seek out people that can describe how they recovered. Yeah. And, and it's, give, a, it's a daily, and give people it's hope. daily, right? It's daily. And <laughs> I truly believe that, and, and I use the word God just because it's an easier word for me. It's not a religious term for me. It's, it's like a spiritual term. I use universe, power. But I'm, I I'm the it, same way. Yes. Yeah, I call it God. And for me, God had a different plan. I actually said, it's like I turned in my chips and I said, I'm done. I want out. This is what I want. And God said, I've got a different plan for you. And so for me, when I remember, which I forget all, all the time, this is my bonus life. And I, I personally think I have two things I'm supposed to do here on this earth. And one of them is to bring light where there's darkness. And the other one is to give people permission to be who they are, like unapologetically with the scars and the darkness and all of it, because this is, we only get to do this once. Right. And I want to do it in a way that I can breathe and I can feel proud of the way I'm living. That's terrific. That's mm-hmm. really good. Um, what's the best way to get in contact? Like if I'm just sitting at sure. home and I hear about this, how, how do I contact you? The right, easiest way directly is my email, um, which is in, it's all one word in your corner coach at Gmail. Um, you can find me on Facebook. First name is Carly, C-A-R-L-Y, like Simon, because I was named after her because my parents are hippies. And Israel, like the country, <laughs> I-S-R-A-E-L. Um, my podcast is on all the places you listen to podcasts, In Your Corner Divorce. And my book, Seconds and Inches, is available paperback or audio. And I want to send you one. What do you prefer? Do you prefer listening or reading? Listening because of my... Um... You know, ADD and me dyslexia. too. Makes it hard to, yeah. Me too. Makes it hard me to too. read. Yes, I yeah. will send you the link because I want you to listen. It's actually me um, reading it, and one of okay. the biggest dreams because I used to be in theater, so for me, I love speaking. And um, one of my biggest dreams was one of my favorite authors um, wrote the foreword, and she read the foreword on my audiobook. So that's really exciting. And her name's Jennifer Pasteloff, and she has a book called On Being Human that you should listen to. She's also reading okay. it. Um, and it's right. all about, you know, owning our story and, and living it and letting other people know that they don't have to live like this. And I truly believe that a lot of us are keeping the secret deep down and within us and are, don't know how to communicate that we need help. And they're, sure. my favorite thing in the whole world is there, the only way out is through. Like there is no way oh, yes. around this. Right? Yeah, I just did a show about Facing your demons. It's called Perfect Storm Fighting Demons. Um, there is a woman I had on the show, Dr. Gigi Langer, used to call yeah. them whispering lies that yeah. you're told. It's the mental obsession. That's what we call it. We call it the mental obsession. It's this voice inside of us that wants to kill us because right. it's, 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 and you know, I think it's compiled by a lot of voices in our past. Um, and sure. because, which is another reason why I have to remind parents, you are going to be one of the main voices in your children's head. What do you want that voice to say when they're adults? What do you want them to hear from your voice? Right. I want them to hear, you can do anything. I've got you. If you fall down, I will help you get back up. You can do this. You know, I want them to hear that. I don't want them to hear those negative voices. Yeah, and they children do what you do. I mean, it, you can tell yeah, a they, thousand they, they times. Yeah, they see it. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Monkey see. <laughs> okay. I, mean, I will I send you my link. You are amazing. I'm so grateful for your time. 
No problem. Uh, you're a terrific guest. Um, Thank you. Uh, I, I hope I can reach people that can uh, give you a call and, and help them recover. Or I would love it. Go through the And by the way, um, I do, for anyone that does my book, um, like in a book club, I, do, I jump on and do Zoom meetings for the like an author Q&A because, you know, COVID given us this opportunity to yes. chat with people all over the world. That's great. It's been great know, talking to you. I mean, I'll send you my link right now. Thank you so much, Bob. Wow, what a terrific interview. She's quite a lady. Um, she also does podcasts. I don't know when she has time. But I'll put the name of the podcast out in the description. And I'll put my email, Twitter, and Facebook, Instagram. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook. So I know that you're there and put some uh, stuff that you want to see on the show. And I'll try to get it. If I'm not covering areas that you would want to cover. Okay. That's the show. We'll see you next time. Bye.